Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a special guest with us on the phone coming to us all the way from Lincoln, Lincoln, say that 10 times in a row, Lincoln, Nebraska, Karen Griffin. Thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast, Karen. Hi, Dino. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Thank you for taking the time. I know this has been a little while in the making. Uh, you've attended a couple of our walks in Lincoln, Nebraska. So we've known each other for a couple of years. Um, unfortunately, we weren't back in Nebraska last year for 2020 due to the pandemic. Um, but I know you've attended the walk in 19 and 18. So we really appreciate the support that you and your family have given to us and showing up. I know both years we kind of put our survivors up in front for, you know, the, the, uh, the people in attendance to kind of be inspired by. And, and the reason why I come to work every day is to have more people like you, you know, out there and about living life. So, uh, really means a lot to have you here on the podcast today to share your journey. So thank you. I truly feel like one of the lucky ones. And I remember you gave me a hat, um, said, survivor isn't that what it's superhuman uh, i think you got one of the superhuman super yeah superhuman. and i i put on i always like to say super lucky human because <laughs> i am a survivor i'm one of the lucky ones yes i love it i, lo I love super <laughs> lucky human i'm writing that down here i love that saying we might have to go into that um <laughs> As is tradition here on the podcast, Karen, as we were talking a little bit before we hit record here, um, always the first segment in the podcast is really the, our guest's opportunity to share their journey. And as I always tell our guests, you can go as far back um, in your journey and you can stay as high level as you want, and then we'll go from there. So with that, the mic is yours. Oh, thanks. Um, so yeah, I'll just start from the beginning. I was just over five years ago when I was um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, it was um, late in the, it was actually Thanksgiving time. And um, uh, what happened was I had some symptoms. I was, I was one of the lucky ones that was able to recognize that something was going on. I had some pain in my back and I had some nausea and what led me to finally get to the doctor and do something about it was I was going to Omaha every Friday to visit my, my father and to have dinner with him. And it got to the point where I was so car sick, I couldn't go. And I oh, finally wow. said, you know, something, something is wrong here. You know, I don't usually get car sick and nausea and things like that. So Anyway, went to the doctor um, thinking it might have been a gallstone or something like that. Who knows? Anyway, um, did a quick ultrasound. And as I was driving back to work, I got a call from the uh, doctor's office saying, can you come back? We have we have found something. Hmm. And I live in the town of Lincoln, which you can drive across in 15 minutes from any direction. So, <laughs> you know, that was it was pretty shocking to get that call that quickly. So anyway, I went back and um, had a CT scan right then and and that's when they uh, found the tumor uh, or, you know, confirmed the tumor on the pancreas. Um, so um, about a month later, a little over a month, I went in and had the Whipple procedure and um, was hopeful that it, everything, it seems like actually like every, almost everything was taken. Um, so I was sailing through um, the 
procedure and hopefully yeah that was going to be the end of it i'm i gotta say that wasn't truly sailing through the uh whipple was a tough tough surgery to go through and i was out of work for about three months um, recovering from that but um then fast forward um four years later i uh, found out that um unfortunately it had come back and it's moved on to my liver Hmm. So I am now doing, you know, after after that uh, observation, I'm now, um, I had some more surgery. And then about six months later from that, they have started me on a new monthly treatment with uh, a lanreotide. And so that's what I'm currently um, doing. Um, and it looks, again, very good that... Um, the um, lesions in my liver have stabilized. Hmm. So I am, like I said in the beginning, <laughs> one of the lucky ones that was, so this is my story. The way I look at it, I was one of the lucky ones because I caught it early, mm-hmm. was able to get in and get that uh, whip procedure done and um, take out the tumor uh, and then just, you know, have, you know, one and one step back is this, this, mis- um, metastasization I guess you'd say to the liver but again I caught that early and have been able to um, have one surgery to address um, one of the issues but now I'm on these treatments that hopefully will continue and my doctors are really positive about the long-term prognosis with with what I've got right now so I guess that's that's the short maybe not too short but that's the story that's my story and i um i don't know if you have any questions i got a couple of questions here (laughs) i got a whole timeline here so (laughs) i want to back up to the very beginning okay sure Uh so you said around thanksgiving 2015 it sounds like five years ago so you Uh said you had this pain and nausea and you know you described the nausea as kind of like getting in the car and having like that car sickness but the pain, was that like an abdominal pain or back pain or where was that pain kind of centralized? Yeah, that was back pain. Back definitely. pain. Uh-huh. Yeah. In and in an in a unusual yeah, location I had never felt before. So it was, yeah, more than I could say was just a, you know, passing thing. So. Yeah. And before all of this, so if we look back, Karen, and go back to like before Thanksgiving of 15, health-wise, no issues or anything that, I mean, I, and I always preface this when, when I ask this question though, because I know like as humans, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we tend to kind of look back and beat ourselves up like, oh man, like I should have known then, you know, cause I was having like acid reflux or something, you know, back in 2013, or, you know, I had this fluttering in my stomach, you know, for a whole month and it, then it just went away and I just didn't think of anything of it, you know, and then three years later, you know, someone gets a diagnosis or, you know, something gets exacerbated and then they do more diagnostic testing and they find something out. So if you look back and, you know, was there a, a a time or maybe, you know, something that occurred that maybe you, you kind of can look back and say, oh, maybe that was something or was it just like everything was on cruise control? There were no issues and it really wasn't until Thanksgiving of 15 that you kind of realized like something wasn't right. 
Well, you know, I have been super healthy. I had it didn't have any issues at all. Um, and so once it wasn't like November is when I felt it and then went right in. It was a couple months before that that I started to feel some nausea or and some back pain. And but then when it got to that point where you know I just had to turn around and not go visit my dad in Omaha, and I just felt terrible. You know, it's like hey, this is cutting into what I want to do. So I know this is not, this is not normal for me at all. Something's going on. Um, but no, I've been super healthy, um, big into cycling and swimming and hiking and scuba diving and skiing. So it was a big, big shock that I had anything going on (laughs) serious like that. So yeah, because when we met, I remember mm-hmm. one of the times we met, I remember you talked mm-hmm. about all the biking that you did and, and activity-wise. So, I mean, clearly if you're doing yeah. all these things, you kind of know something's not right, right? And being your biggest yeah. advocate, right? Yeah. But I mm-hmm. think also, though, that's a, that's a pro and a con, right? Because, as a as, you know, the pro is that we know. But then the con is, like, sometimes I think people who are super active feel like, oh, man, I just went too hard today, right? Or you just went out on that bike ride and, you know, you really pushed yourself, you know, so mm-hmm. maybe, like, that back pain or, you know, some of, the, some of the ailments that you feel, like, just the soreness possibly, you know, could be because you just pushed yourself too hard and you just need to recover a bit too. Um, yeah. You know, I guess one thing like that, that you're mentioning is, um, hot flashes. You know, I was thinking that's like just menopause, but mm-hmm. maybe that was more related to the, to the cancer. And I just didn't recognize it because mine's a neuroendocrine tumor, which that can be, um, one of the side effects. of. Yeah. So that, that kind of ties into what you're asking, I believe. Yeah. You know, at, at this point I still don't really even know, but, um, but it could be that that was related or it could have been worsened by the cancer. And I yeah, just didn't pick up on it. True. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you go through the Whipple and, mm-hmm. you know, for our audience listening home, that is, this is kind of for that term. I mean, the Whipple is the yeah. one surgery that, you know, is available. Well, not one. I mean, technically, I guess there's three, but the Whipple is the one where is most common where they can remove the tumor. Um, but it's yes. an extensive surgery. I mean, some, sometimes Whipples go 10, 12 hours. Um, you know, they can be as quick as, you know, six to eight hours, which is still a long time. Yes. But after the Whipple, did you have any treatment post in terms of chemo, radiation, or was it just, hey, the Whipple did its job, we eliminated the cancer, and everything looked good? Right. No, my surgeon at the, you know, um, in Omaha had, had said that based on the, the surgery, the Whipple, it took out half of the pancreas, part of my intestines, my gallbladder, um, and um, then reattached it all. But had said that you know along with that the lymph nodes checked out as all clear um and it appeared to have been very um concentrated on the the head of the pancreas so they took that's what he took a half and he was um you know very clear that there really wouldn't be any advantage of chemotherapy or radiation at this point so at that point i mean so um no i did not anything after that um the surgery was 
difficult though. It was, um, as I said, it was out of, out of work for three months and hmm. I lost a lot of weight. I, um, but, and it took a while to get back to where I could eat and all that functioned <laughs> normally again. But because of the fact that I had been pretty active in the previously, um, you know, I think that really helped in my recovery. I was, I was able to get back, um, back to normal. Um, we, my husband and I do do a lot of, uh, long-term bicycle tours, Mm -hmm. uh, week long tours, things like that. And we had one scheduled in July of 2016 and I was able to go and do it. So, um, it was, it was amazing. It was in Wyoming on on the border of Wyoming and Montana. And uh, part of it was to ride up and over, um, Beartooth pass in Wyoming, which is a 30 mile climb. And I was not sure obviously that I would be able to make it, but we had a, a, a backup, a vehicle that I could always jump into if, if I wouldn't make it any day. And, uh, but I got to say I was able to, so I feel again, like, you know, I had really good surgeon. I had really good, um, team of nurses that helped me know what to do to recover. And my father was a surgeon here in Lincoln. And so one thing that he would always kind of frustrate him was when he would tell a patient to do something and they didn't do it. <laughs> so as a kid, I learned right away, do what your doctor and nurse says. Do say. what the surgeon says, yeah. And so I did. And I I mean, I really got great advice on what to eat and you know how to make sure that I was eating properly and hydrating and take it slowly, give yourself time to, to heal. Um, and, and so then I was able to slowly get back on the bike. I did try once a little too early, I have to admit, (laughs) but, um, then, you know, gave myself some more time and then started slowly getting back, um, into the group. And yeah, we had a, and, you know, really haven't had any, um, trips canceled in any way because of because of this luckily that's um, really special wood. yeah that's yeah. really awesome <laughs> i mean it, yeah. it's amazing the hair you know so i i, I get asked the question then what was uh-huh. like the complimation or the completion i should say of that 2016 bike ride you know when you just gone through what you've gone through and as you said uh-huh. you're making that 30 mile uphill climb i just got a peloton and like me trying to do like you know, hills for like, uh, you know, less than 30 seconds to a minute or 30 seconds to a minute is like, you know, pain. So I can't imagine 30 miles. (laughs) Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it took us all day. I mean, it took the whole group. It's an all day ride to go over that pass. And we had been leading up to it and it was probably three or four, third or fourth day into the, the week long tour. And so we knew, you know, here's the big day. Um, and we knew also that there was a false summit at the top. And so that once we got oh, up into above the tree line, it was going to be windy and cold. You're going to see the top and you're thinking there, but you're not because you're going to oh come around God. the side and see that you have to go even farther. And um, one of the tour guides recognized that my husband and I, you know, we were, we were definitely the last of the group. There's no question there, but they, he, he rode back and as we were coming around that bend and saw this, the full summit, um, 
he was right there to say, it's okay, Karen, you're going to still make it. You can <laughs> I mean, they were just there to help us, you know, get there and over that pass. And yeah, we did it. And so it was awesome. incredible. It was incredible. I, yeah, we, you know, then you got power of downhill. <laughs> <laughs> but it's totally worth, it. worth it. Yeah. It's totally yeah. worth it though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Really, the pass is built, the road was built so that it's not a super steep climb. It's it's a steady climb with a lot of switchbacks. So it was beautiful. And um, it wasn't really until the very, very top where it was super windy and cold that we were like, okay, we want to be down. <laughs> Get over to the other side. And then we were there. And then we went. Uh, that sounds awesome and amazing. It I mean, was. it had to be pretty special going through what you just went through. It was. You know, to be it able to incredible. be there. Mm-hmm. Really what, was. during that time, if you had to mm-hmm. look back, and this is one of my questions here, and maybe something that we could share with our audience, because maybe there's someone listening here and that's, you know, going to have a Whipple, you know, and, you know, they're yeah. thinking about doing their thing when they're recovered from that Whipple, but. Was there anything that, because as you said, like, you know, you were out for three months. I mean, the Whipple's a, a no joke surgery. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. a very complex surgery. There's a lot of intricacies of it. I mean, I think, I shouldn't say I think, I know doctors have gotten, and, you know, this science here in the United States, we've gotten a lot better at doing Whipple's. So the complications are less, but again, mm-hmm. there's still, it's still a, a big surgery. There still can be complications. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you did during that time, you know, mentally, physically to kind of get you through that time? And I know you said, you know, you were really good listening to the the surgeon's orders because your dad was a surgeon, but was there anything else that you did that kind of got you through that to be able to, you know, ride, you know, the ride that you took, you know, in 16 shortly after I, that surgery? I, I do like to read a lot. And I, um, so I couldn't even read at first. I was on pain medications and I couldn't concentrate very well. And, um, but, um, once I got to a point, you know, where I was feeling better and I could, I, I got some books from my, one of my cousins and she gave me, she was really amazing. I, I would never have thought of this, but she has friends that have gone through different, you know, medical issues in the past. And, and so she recognized that you may not be at that same reading level when you're going through what you're going through. She gave me adult, um, I mean, um, you know, what do you call it? Young, juvenile, young adult books yeah. to read, <laughs> you know, which cool. I would never have picked off the, the list, you know, of my books on the shelf. I wouldn't have said, uh, I, I didn't even have any young adult books, but, <laughs> but but she gave me these as, you know, you just you just need something a little easier right now <laughs> on your brain, on your body. Just yeah. just take it easy. And um, that was just an odd thing I would never have thought. That really, it really did help. And there was another book I read about by um, about Amelia Earhart, and it was a book that talked about her, you know, crash. It was just a fantasy book of of what could have happened if, you know, if she yeah. realized. And survived on this island and it talked about her, you know, floating, you know, after the the experience of the crash, just kind of an out of body experience or just 
not being able to concert. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly how I feel. <laughs> and so anyway, there were some books that really helped me get through the time um, where I needed to just take it very slow and get back, get my health back. Um, so those were really good. And um, yeah, just trying to really follow the the regiment of getting protein enough protein every day and that meant drinking a lot of insurance yeah, and things yeah. like that yeah mm -hmm. yeah and those aren't always the best <laughs> oh, no um i know when my dad but, was going through like we we'd have to like bribe him to to take those insurers you know like some of them yes. were just really really tough but yeah. You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with, you know, this disease and in particular recovery is, you know, just making sure nutrition wise that you're getting enough of that protein, you know, because yeah. it's critical um, in recovery and, and also in, you know, having the strength to continue to move on to that next level as you, you know, yeah. s go through the recovery process. Mm -hmm. The book thing, though, is really fascinating mm -hmm. to me because I've never heard that. But you know what, <laughs> if you think about it though, you know, if we just talk about this for a minute here, uh -huh. you know, reading something really, you have to, you know, I find I, I've gotten into reading the last uh, couple years here because I, you know, from all the traveling, I just was like, yeah, I can't listen to as many, <laughs> you know, watch movies mm -hmm. or listen to music. I just enjoyed reading and yeah. it really does like bring like your body into this at least for me, this mode of like, just like, I wouldn't say self-awareness, but just like chill, right? And so yeah. when you're recovering though, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up, like, as you said, like, you know, being able to read and read topics that are kind of off the beaten path for you, it probably really required you to kind of focus in on that book and just kind of, you know, if the doctor's saying you just need to chill and just relax, probably brings you into that kind of medicine. I wouldn't say meditative state because you're not meditating, but just into that relaxed state, you know, so your, your body can heal and then you can kind of focus on the book at, at hand and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wonder if that, that probably such a cool idea. Yeah. It definitely took um, my mind off things too, which was really important just to have something other than the next test or the next doctor appointment to focus on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, it's just this great idea. Uh, so thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. Mm -hmm. So going back to the timeline, we now mm -hmm. fast forward four years later and you have uh, lesions on your liver. Was this diagnosed in like a routine visit or a scan where they saw something or were you just kind of not feeling great again and kind of realized maybe um, something was up? You know, they had noted um, some elevated enzymes in my liver tests, um, but, you know, they, there wasn't anything that was recognized originally in the, um, the, let's see, I was doing CT scans then. And so I was going from, you know, at first it was every three months, and then it was six months, every six months for CT scans. Um, and, and it was during that time, you know, they saw some elevated enzyme levels in my liver, but they still didn't see anything in the, in the CT scans. And, but then, um, I can't recall if it was in an MRI or where they first saw it, 
I, I don't don't recall at this point. But anyway, either way, it was a shock. I was I was thinking that I was sailing through this and I was going to make it to five years because mm-hmm. the surgeon, my surgeon, had told me, you know, basically if you can make it to five years, then we call you cured and yeah. you're you're on a very different monitoring schedule and all that stuff. And so it was quite a blow, but <laughs> you know, with the 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 surgery the next surgery that i had to, for the liver lesions was so much less um invasive it was uh um an ablation a microwave ablation mm-hmm. so uh, i didn't have to, i don't have that huge um you know scar the, the whipple of opening up my entire abdomen it was just a, a needle ablation so that was so much better. I, um, yeah. And now you're currently on the treatment that they mm-hmm. recommended. And yeah. health-wise, activity-wise, you feel good. I do. I, I um, My um, treatments are on a monthly basis, roughly. And uh, I do – I have cut back at work. I do have a little more fatigue Um definitely related to that Mm -hmm. the treatments and um there's other other things that have gone um a little out of whack with the treatments my my blood pressure became higher Mm -hmm. and my blood sugar less um, stable so i've actually uh, fallen into the diabetic range uh, which was always a, a a concern with someone that's had the whipple yeah um, but now with the lanreotide, I definitely, that has, that is for sure. But, um, so with that, I've got a couple more medications, um, but uh, the diabetes is controlled now with those yeah. medications. So that's great. Um, but I do, I do, um, have fatigue, um, related to the, the new treatments and I'm just learning to adjust to that. And all of this happening, and then you throw COVID into the mix, right? So, yeah. so how has that been with the COVID pandemic? I mean, I know Nebraska, you know, our wave here in New York, Connecticut was, you know, the very beginning in that March area. And then I think it didn't really hit the Midwest. It was kind of like the, the dominoes from the East Coast and West Coast, I think, until later. I don't think it was really kind of... Uh, you know, in their peak as, as we, if we look at all these charts and there's probably been a million charts that people have looked at with this pandemic, but, you know, I think the chart for the Midwest was, I think like May or June was like when they were hitting their peak there. Um, and maybe into even into the summer. So going through treatment and realizing, you know, you're at high risk, um, because of, you know, the, this previous issue with yeah. the with the cancer how has that been navigating through that process well there's goods and bads actually um you know with um my co- i'm lucky to work as a geologist for an engineering firm here in lincoln oh wow and um my job previous to covid involved a lot of travel a lot of meeting with folks i i look for water or try to help sustainably manage water mm-hmm. as my as my job and so I work with folks in the west and Wyoming and across Nebraska that are working on how to to use their water groundwater uh, sustainably and so there's a lot of public meetings a lot of 
going out and meeting folks on their ranch and finding out where their wells are and things like that. Well, COVID put all that to a stop. Yeah. Absolutely. As it turned out, that really helped me because I didn't have, I didn't realize how hard that was on me physically to be traveling and all that. I just, I knew I was tired and, you know, blah, blah, blah from work or whatever. But once that stopped, I realized, okay, that has really helped to not be on the road. Um, and, and working from home, if I start to feel bad, I can just take a break um, and come back and, and get going later or the next day, whatever's needed. Um, so for me personally, in terms of my work, it has really been a, a good thing. Um, that I've been able to work remotely like this. It's I, I really do miss the interaction and, and all that with the folks that I work with in the field and of uh, water management. But um, at the same time, I realize that that probably is a good thing for um, my health, long-term health. So at this point, I am not, I mean, we, we're in Nebraska just getting, um, we the just vaccines, got all the, right? you know, vaccines yeah. rolled out to primary care folks and, and, um, first responders. And I'll be, I'm in the next group. Um, right now they're 85 year, 85 year olds and older, um, 65 and older with, um, conditions, existing conditions like myself will be hopefully very soon. Um, but at this point we're just working out of my home my husband and i are <laughs> cool and, um, and treatment so wise a, you haven't mm-hmm. had any issues with like going to the hospital or you know getting scans or anything like that during this time no no um my oncologist here their office is very um very you know conscientious as you can imagine and um yeah i i have a lot of doctor's appointments but that's pretty much I realize how important that is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do. <laughs> I mask up and do all that you need to do, washing hands and distancing, um, get in and out and, and, and I'm done. But again, yeah. so far so good. Um, and just hoping for the vaccines to be able to roll out here in Nebraska even faster soon. Yeah, I know like hearing, everyone is. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a huge, you know, I, I, you know, weight, I guess. And, you know, for mm-hmm. some people that's lifted, you know, um, I know here in Connecticut, they just announced 65 and older and pre-existing conditions and the first rollout, which sounds like, you know, yeah. it's happening, you know, in other states now was, you know, that 85, 75 and above and first responders, you know, frontline care workers, um, mm-hmm. you know, with regards to the vaccine, I, I think the one thing, and, you know, we've interviewed a lot of survivors during this, this pandemic, Yeah, they all realized the, as you said, like, Hey, we mask up, we wash our hands, you know, everyone realized, I, I think there's, I've never interviewed a survivor, um, you know, and said, Oh, you know, like not wearing a mask, not, you know, not taking precautions. Um, we all understand, I say we, the survivors understand uh-huh. the severity of it. Um, and oh, I think yeah. the medical community did a really good job, you know, kudos to the, the medical folks and CDC and NIH and a lot of the centers. Um, you know, I follow a lot of the, the centers that we've worked with Nebraska, you know, there in Nebraska, you, you, uh, University of Nebraska medical center. 
Uh-huh. Um, you know, that we've uh, funded a lot of research there, you know, and just seeing the amount of content that them and along with a lot of other centers put out early on about, you know, the risks and who's at risk, which is awesome. So, you know, I, I think like we're all taking the precautions and, you know, hopefully those vaccines will start to flow, you know, to everyone, you know, really quickly, you know, yeah. sooner than later, I hope for, for a lot of people, you included Karen, because I think that is going to be a game changer. You know, I mean, they, yeah. the data shows that, you know, the vaccines are effective. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've always kind of been the biggest cheerleader for this space. And, you know, I felt kind of early on that, you know, they should have been, you know, in line with the first responders, in my opinion. But, you know, my opinion doesn't really matter to most. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But um, yeah. I've got a couple of questions. Oh, no, go ahead. I have one thing I wanted to say that that was also kind of a, a positive. I ended up, I'm going to, um, if I have more surgery, which is, you know, pretty likely that I'll have some more um, surgery for the lesions in my liver. I have um, connected with a, a surgeon in Denver. And, um, since COVID, you know, um, the telehealth, um, has been the standard, you know, for, for us to, to connect and it's worked out really well. Um, I get my scan results and send them off to him in Denver. And then, you know, a couple days later, we connect online and um, talk about what it means in terms of whether I need surgery now or later and each time. So we've been doing this since uh, July now. And um, I was concerned at first as, Oh, am I going to have to go have surgery during COVID in Denver? Boy, that's going to be tricky. Well, I haven't luckily. (laughs) And so, um, but anyway, the um, telehealth meetings have been great. Yeah, it's really transformed the space, right? I mean, like, you can talk to, you know, someone versus having to hop on a plane and, you know, doing all the travel, uh, which Mm -hmm. is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I do hope that um, that does stay in some component. I mean, I do think Mm -hmm. there's like benefit in actually physically seeing a patient when someone's really, really sick. And, you know, but I think the telehealth has been phenomenal, though, to, you know, knowledge is power. And we've always, we've talked a lot about this on our podcast, you know, and just about like, you know, patients, the more information they have, the more resources they have, the more powerful they become. Yeah. And so I think, you know, allowing or, you know, having a a way to communicate and for you as a patient and us as advocates to gather and gain more information sooner and faster than we ever had, is powerful, you know? So I hope that does stay through all this. I mean, I think if, Mm -hmm. you know, we were a betting man, I don't bet, but you know, I would put money on it that, you know, in five years from now, we'd hopefully would still see some component of Tela, you know, just Mm -hmm. because of, you know, the ability to connect people that, you know, don't necessarily have the means, um, maybe financially in the future. But I think just now, like, it's so amazing. I mean, we've had we've connected people from all over the country to to scientists and doctors, you know, telewise. Um, you know, it's really really fascinating. So I, I hope it's yeah. here to stay in some some aspect of it. Um, you know, but time will tell. Mm-hmm. Speaking of education, I um, I use the website, the Pan- Pancreatic Cancer Network yep. website for yeah. a lot of that's my great information. Go-to resource, yeah, for information and. 
I was watch I watched a webinar um, a couple of years ago on pan- the neuroendocrine tumors, mm-hmm. um, and it was a you know a specialist in this type of tumor. Well, as it turns out, my oncologist once the lesion showed up in my liver, she said, "Okay, if you need to have surgery, I know you've had this surgeon in Den- in Omaha, but I have someone in Denver I want you to 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 look at as an option." And that was this the gentleman that was in this, this uh, webinar. webinar. What are the yeah. odds? That's so, so awesome. She said, Dr. Liu, uh, Liu from Denver. And I said, wait, I, I've seen him. I've, <laughs> I've heard him talk about these tubers. I, I would be, that would be fantastic. So anyway, I felt like I already knew him, although I hadn't met him. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'd, I'd suggest to anyone to, to, to take advantage of those webinars. Um, you know, they've, they've been really helpful for, to me. Well, I think that's the one thing that's been great about this time. Like we've all had time to be in front of our computers and be in virtual mm-hmm. settings, but there is some great resources out there yes. and there's information. And uh, as I said, the more knowledge that patients and advocates have, the more powerful they can, uh, they become, but then also that they, they can make educated decisions right? And yes. not emotional decisions mm-hmm. or, you know, Hey, I just, I like this doctor cause you know, it's the right fit or, you know, but no, I really did the research and, you know, he's really one of the top experts in this field. Yeah. So it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. It is. <laughs> so I've got a couple questions here left uh, that I've been okay. writing down here as we've been speaking. And the first one is, I know you mentioned kind of, and this always, we always bring this up is just family history. I know you said your father was a surgeon, mm-hmm. um, and you know there is some link. We, we've had a couple of uh, neuroendocrine specialists um, on the podcast recently, and a couple of survivors. And one of them that comes to mind uh, is a doctor. Actually, he's a medical oncologist. Actually, at Intermountain in uh, Salt Lake in Utah, um, mm-hmm. and his name's Mark Lewis. And his dad had neuroendocrine tumors. And then he experienced himself a neuroendocrine pancreatic cancer tumor as well. So he said in that podcast, he's like, yeah, it was, you know, familial, it was genetic, um, it was passed on. And he knew, you know, at some point, you know, from his background, but also from his family history, you know, that this possibly could be a problem. So is, was there a family history? I mean, I know genetic testing now is kind of the standard, but uh, I would imagine back in 2015, if you didn't ask for it, you probably didn't get it. Um, is there a family history of, of, you know, neuroendocrine tumors or cancer as a whole? Um, no, not no pancreatic cancer, no neuroendocrine tumors in my family. Um, and I did have the genetic testing done. It was done through FanCam. They had a oh. program where they um, did the testing for basically for future reference if I needed to go into a a clinical trial or something or chemotherapy, they could use that to decide what's the best um, for the cancer. And um, so no, none none in my family. So no, this was a complete uh, out of the blue diagnosis. And nothing in the genetics that would raise uh, a hand or raise questions of what's going on? No. No, and I definitely needed to find that out to see if my siblings had any yeah. uh, propensity or whatever towards this these tumors or my children. And so, but the answer was no. So that's good news. 
you. That is really good news, but it's also really strange, you know, in a sense. Yes, <laughs> you know, because the other leading factor, you know, obesity, um, smoking, yeah. blah, 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 and inactivity. Well, I can't, <laughs> I don't do any of those. Yeah. I'm pretty active. I don't smoke and I eat well. I, I try to do the right thing. So um, I was surprised. It's interesting. Yeah. My next question is life before pancreatic cancer. And I know you said you were active, mm -hmm. but in the question being like, how much has changed, you know, from if you look before that, you know, 2015 to where you are today? Yeah, you're, you've got this challenge, you're dealing with it, but in terms of activity and lifestyle and, you know, family and, and granted taking COVID out of the picture, here because COVID has changed a lot of that, like how we interact socially. But let's say maybe prior to COVID, like was life that different before your bout with this disease? You know, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it comes and goes. And I would say in general, no, I would say I've been able to get back to the normal life. Um, as I, I mentioned earlier, the treatments are still kind of that I'm still getting used to, and I have kind of dialed back at work for that reason. But I, I, ha I have hope that um, that I will get back in check as well. But you know, like this past weekend, we've gotten a lot of snow here <laughs> in Nebraska, and I went out cross country skiing for a couple hours. Um, and if I could, I would be at the gym swimming <laughs> awesome. um through the winter that's usually what i do but i haven't been able to do that um this winter so we're doing other things you know yoga and walks a lot and skiing when this when there's snow here in nebraska and it has been a winter a weather a winter for that so um yeah pre-covid i was still doing the same things i like to do i've been I have to say I have been really lucky um, to be able to say that. I know there's a, so many people that have, um, you know, have have to go through the chemotherapy and the radiation and other things that um, that do change their life. Um, and in in other ways, it has given me a a very different perspective on life too. Of course, as a cancer survivor. Um, it makes you focus on what's the most important things in your life and your, your family and your friends and um, yeah, living a genuine life that you, that you feel is, um, is valid, is honest, is real. That's, that's where I am with my life right now. Um, and it's, I just am grateful that I'm here, that every day that I have, I still feel great and hopefully can make a contribution that's a positive one to the people that I interact with. It's pretty powerful, Karen, because I mean, I think, you know, we, we all have our days mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you're staring, you know, this thing head on and still dealing with it. And to say like, I'm lucky. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, yeah, luck is, is something about it, but I think just the inspiration to hear you just say that, you know, how you're, able to continue to do that and how powerful like that mindset is, you know, I, I use the term mindset because I think that's 
what this becomes, right? Like you're just going to mm-hmm. go out and, and, you know, live life and do those things. Was that something that, you know, if you look back, and this is a bit of a loaded question here to segue onto this one, you know, was that something that you've always had or something you learned from your parents? I know you mentioned your dad was a surgeon, so I'm sure, you know, maybe, you know, in that upbringing where you have a parent that, you know, may have seen people go through illnesses, you know, yeah. to just kind of, you know, make sure that their kids understood, you know, you know, to, to well, keep doing those things. Yeah. I, did, I feel like that my upbringing, I was, I was raised in a family where gratitude was an important <laughs> part of our, our, our life. My father as a surgeon would um, volunteer every, about every three years in um, a developing country and we, as a family, would go with them for a month or two. So um, cool. And so at a, at the age of 12 was my first experience in that. And we went to East Africa and my dad worked in Tanzania. And um, it was just an eye-opening, obviously, experience to have never left the country. I've hardly ever seen an ocean and to yeah. see and swim in the Indian Ocean and realize how lucky we are in the United States to have paved roads and sewers and drinking water that's clean. I mean, that's basically been how I felt since that experience. And the cancer has, hasn't stopped me. Um, and I, you know, I truly, as a geologist feel like we have a, uh, we have a role in our planet's health and uh, climate change is a huge issue. And, I feel I, I almost um, made a decision based on the cancer that, that I would have regretted, but I, I took it slowly and I didn't. So here's the story. Um, when I heard that I had the reoccurrence of the cancer was the same time that the mayor appointed me for the Lincoln um, electric system, the utility board. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to be on that was to help make decisions towards um changing to be, uh, you know, use, use more renewables and, um, in our, our electrical power grid system here. And I, I went to her and I said, you know, I, I have to be honest. I, I don't know if you should select me cause this is, I'm going to have some, I have some health issues and went into it with her. Cause she's also a friend. And I said, I, I don't know if I can do it. She said, well, you think about it. And, and it came back with, you know, it took about a, a couple of weeks and I thought about it and said, you know, this is something that I still want to do. And if I can, I am going to do it. And so I took the appointment. I, but then when COVID hit, I couldn't go to the meetings. Yeah. And so I couldn't vote. And so when it came to the point where we were voting on a decarbonization goal, after being on the board for over a year, and that was really important to me. I uh, I was able to get a hold of an N95 mask, and you went. masked up, did, and they had it all set up so well. Giant room, uh, just the board members, and we each had dividers in between, and 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 I was there. I mean, it was scary because that was really one of the few things I had done, other than my necessary doctor's appointments. But I really wanted to do it, and we got there, and. Um, uh, the vote was uh, unanimous in the end to set a so decarbonization awesome. goal for our community. That is another big thing that I was just so happy 
with how it came out. And now we're in the midst of, you know, making it happen for our community. So That's so awesome. You know, so, yeah. something you just said, though, mm. and I see this often, and it goes back to this this gratitude and, you know, these experiences that you have when you were younger. And then this, I always say, like, sometimes there's this arc that people are on in life. And we go through these experiences early on, but we, then we don't really really realize the full impact. And then we go through something like life altering, like pancreatic cancer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we see the benefits of those things that we experienced early on or previously in life and how they impact us when we go through this trauma. And I see this often because I take notes. If I had a vlog, if we had a vlog, people would see this, like this this notes that I have here on the, on the desk. But when you said that, I was like, wow, like, you know, and, and that's why I, I, I love that you brought that up and, and shared that with us. So thank you. But that mindset and having that gratitude, and you've said lucky a lot here on mm-hmm. this podcast. And, and yeah, there is luck, but I think like having that mindset, Karen, from an outsider's mm-hmm. perspective here for me, looking at, you know, your story and your journey is a big reason why you've been able to probably be, have such success. You know, the Whipple, it's a no joke surgery. It's a very serious surgery, but you know, your dad was a surgeon. You took the word of the surgeon as gospel. You did what he said. You found ways to get through that time reading and making sure protein, but you got through that. And I'm sure that's a big reason why you got through it and probably didn't have a lot of complications. And then, you know, going through this journey and just having that mindset and that gratitude, you know, for what you have and being able to to mentally, because I've always seen people who have this mental awareness and it's, it could be strength, but just are mentally aware of that fight in front of them come out of this so much better than people that don't. And that's powerful because the mind has an incredible thing, you know, can do incredible things that the body can overcome some things that the body, you know, is just having challenges and issues with. So it's, uh, I commend you for, you know, having that mindset and thank you for sharing that because it's really, really powerful for audience to hear. It's not um, something that I've, um, been able to do alone though. I have had a lot of help. My husband and my family are great supporters. And, um, you know, there are times when I'm down and think, oh gosh, I feel terrible today. Am I going to, how's it going to, how am I going to feel? I hope I feel better tomorrow. But um, one of the things is to have a good sense of humor. And one time when I was feeling down, my husband was saying something about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, you know, and I always looked at her for inspiration and he said, he said, Karen, you're like notorious RGB. You're, you're notorious KMG. (laughs) (laughs) And that, you know, just that little, you know, just that thought made me giggle. Brought me out of that dumps for that moment. And from then on, that's my, that's what I love to think of. Like when I was heading off to that meeting and I was like kind of nervous about well really nervous about going into this two-hour meeting you know with COVID and cancer um so what would Ruth Bader Ginsburg have done she would have gone that's right (laughs) she would have gone and voted that's right so 
Um, That's anyway. awesome. I love you sharing that story. Notorious <laughs> KMG. That's going to yep. be your new nickname for us. <laughs> I've got two questions left for you okay. here. Sure. What advice would you give someone who is maybe listening to this podcast and just recently got a diagnosis or is starting their journey with pancreatic cancer? And that's a loaded question and, and there's no right or wrong to it, but you know, given your experience, what's the advice you'd give them? I guess going back to that, the story I just told about the, you know, the appointment to this utility board, I, I take, I have to take those decisions slowly now. I, I would suggest that, you know, I've, I've, over the last five years, I've had a lot of friends that have unfortunately been diagnosed with different cancers. And I, I always just say, take it slow. Um, don't make any rash decisions right away. Um, you, you have, um, a lot of things that you're going through and, what may have been an easy decision in the past need, you know, just take your time, um, reach out. I've, I've reached out for help with the counseling and to get through some of the ups and downs of this, uh, this process that we go through and this diagnosis. So, um, reach out to others for help. Don't, don't try to do it all yourself. Take it slow, reach out for help. There's a couple thoughts that I would pass on. It's powerful. Positivity, yes. And um, yeah, don't look at the statistics. Um, you know, you're a unique individual. As a scientist, I'm not a statistic. That's what I keep saying. I am me. And uh, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's powerful stuff. I, I, it's You're spot on because I always tell people, you know, it's just a number. You don't have to be that yeah. number. Yeah. Last question. And mm -hmm. this is probably the hardest question. And I, I preface this mm -hmm. by saying it is a loaded question. Most of my questions are loaded, but in your own personal experience, and there's no right or wrong answer to this, it's your answer. How do you define pancreatic cancer? Um, are we talking like in one word or <laughs> it, it could be one word. It could be no. a statement. It could be a, a bunch oh, of sentences. Goodness. It could be a paragraph. What's your definition of it? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm never really good at these things. Do you know how, <laughs> uh, how to, how to describe it? It's such a, it's, it's scary. Yes. Um, but it's not life defining it's life changing yes but it hasn't i don't like to think about it defining my life so keeping keeping that perspective um has been important to me but yes it's it is a scary scary thing to go through it's tough but you know we can we can you can do it i love it it's perfect Last thing, and uh, for anyone listening out there that maybe Karen, you know, heard something, they want to connect with you, maybe they have a similar background and are, you know, going mm -hmm. through the same journey that you went through, where is the best place uh, for someone to maybe reach out to you or connect to you? And that could be an email or, you know, a website or somewhere along the line. I mean, I know the internet's a great place to connect, but um, we always share our guest information if they'd like to do that. 
Yeah, I think an email's the best. Um, and do you want me to? Yeah, go right my ahead. Email, yeah, or do you do that? I don't. No, know. absolutely. You go right ahead. Yeah. So my email is simple. It's just my name, Karen M, as in Michelle Griffin, G R I F F I N at hotmail dot com. Awesome. I'd be happy to to connect if there's if there's anything I can do to help. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Karen, thank you for being mm-hmm. a guest on the Project Purple podcast. As I said, I was taking notes and, you know, mm-hmm. you said lucky a bunch. And, uh, you know, I had super, in quotation marks, lucky human here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I crossed that out and put, you know, the notorious KMG. I love that. <laughs> I love that. You my get, husband, I yeah, love you got to give your husband credit for that. So, yeah. thank you for coming on our podcast and sharing your journey. It's been a pleasure to allow me the opportunity to share your journey and have us here share your journey with our public. Well, thanks. It's been great talking to you. Thanks again, Karen. And as we say here at Project Purple, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear today, please feel free to share us and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, please be safe and thanks for listening. Beep.